here we go. We're going to jump in. Genesis 45 is where we're going to be today. First book of the Bible, 45th chapter in. F's and THs are really hard. You got to just bear with me today. We are uh, jumping into this Christmas series. I'm so excited. This felt like a Christmas week, didn't it? Besides the tooth surgery, this felt like a Christmas week. We got a two-hour delay. People's lights and trees are going up. Some of you are smiling again because you got over your family visit from Thanksgiving. P.S. They're coming back at Christmas. It's just that time of year. And what I thought about as, as we're kicking off this series, Ghosts of Christmas Past, here's, here's what I thought. Have you noticed how this season, this Christmas season, seems to magnify everything? Like everything just kind of seems bigger, more Im- impactful, like all the good stuff seems better. And I think in the same way, all the hard stuff, all the painful stuff seems more difficult. What might be a little painful during the rest of the year can seem way more painful during Christmas time. And that's why we're doing this series, because here's what I know. When it comes to holidays, all of us battle certain things. We have pain, we have struggles, we have uh, inner turmoil that we're wrestling through. And, and I think we battle with these ghosts, things that we think put behind us, but then the holiday rolls around and they just come right back out. So let me tell you over the next few weeks, here's where we're going. Next week, my favorite week of the series, we're going to deal with the ghost of labels. Many of us over the course of our lives, we've picked up labels, we've labeled ourselves, other people have labeled us, and we struggle with those. We hang on to those. We think, I don't know how to get past those. We're going to deal with that. The 16th is Jingle Jam. We're going to lighten the mood. Then the 23rd, we're coming back, and we're going to talk about the ghost of shame. How do you forgive yourself? How do you deal with the things that you have in your life, the pain that you have? How do you overcome some of that? And today what I want to do is not talk about forgiving yourself. What I want to do is talk about something that's close to my heart. And I say close to my heart, here's what I mean. I struggle with this, all right? This is, this is something that personally I'm battling. I'm trying to get over. And it's this idea that there's a ghost of, of forgiving others, not forgiving ourselves, but forgiving others. We have offenses that we have had committed against us that we have to overcome. So let me start here. Let me ask this. How many of you here right now, and you can raise your hand, this is a safe question because they're probably not here. Don't look, if they are here, just don't look at them. Just pretend it's somebody else. Act like they're way out there. How many of you know someone, just raise your hand, that is easily offended? Like you've got them, don't look, just look here. Don't look, don't look around, okay? Now, yeah, you know somebody that's easily offended. In fact, they would be offended if they knew you were raising your hand, right? That, that's just kind of the, the way they are. How, how many of you would say quite honestly, and you don't have to raise your hand for this, just think about it, that you might be offended more than you should. You, you are that person. That's hard to admit, isn't it? I have such a tendency to be that way. I catch myself letting little things just drive me crazy. Let me give you, give you some examples. This is therapy for me. If I'm driving my car and I let someone in or let someone go at McDonald's, maybe, I don't know, when it really wasn't their turn and they didn't wave back <laughs> with that obligatory, like, you're so righteous. Thank you for letting me go when you didn't have to bless you and keep you. Like, I get furious, don't you? Like, I'm in the car going, you're welcome, <laughs> yelling at them. Like, they can hear me. Same way, when I open the door for somebody and, and they just walk by, like, I, like, am I wearing the blue suit? Am I a bellman? Like, what's the deal? You didn't say thank you. Maybe for you, you're talking to someone and the whole time they're on their phone. You ever been there? Text, 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 text. And you're like, just look at me, right? Like, just zero in for a few minutes. You're so uh, offended. Some of you speaking of the phone, technology is giving you whole new ways to be offended. Like you followed somebody on Instagram that's a friend in real life and they didn't follow you back and you like all their posts 
And they act like you're not even worthy of being followed. You text them and they're slow to respond. Maybe they text you 24 hours later and you're thinking, I'm a 24-hour friend. That's what I'm worthy. I do that to people all the time and I apologize for that. The worst is when I text somebody, though, this is what just drives me crazy. I told you therapy. And you know the bubbles that tell me they're responding or they're starting to respond and the bubbles start and I'm like, here we go. And then it stops. And I'm so offended because I go, you started to text me and then you dumped me halfway through. Right? We're easily offended. Then we come to the holidays and you have a dinner and the same person who's always late is late again. And they didn't bring any food to contribute to the dinner. But you know what they bring? They bring Tupperware. And they bring Tupperware because they think there's going to be leftovers for them to take home. And then it gets worse and you're, you're easily offended at the holidays because someone says, well, I don't like how you're raising your kids. And it just takes one statement to set us off, doesn't it? And maybe Christmas and maybe Jesus' birthday, but it's time to throw down. See, it's a funny to me that a season that's supposed to be Christ-centered can easily become so divisive and destructive to our relationship. See, what I've talked about are just kind of the little annoying things. But the reality for us is there will be and there are many significant hurts and wounds that come this time of year. Some of you have been betrayed in really significant ways. Someone lied to you. Someone lied about you. Someone let you down or represented one thing and then lived in a totally different way. Some of you have suffered abuse. Some of you are so discouraged. Some of you are going into family situations that have been dysfunctional for years and years and years. See, the challenge is so often when we're offended, we let these things seep into our heart and they start to overcome our attitudes. And then we have these Christmas dinners that are completely destroyed. See, there's those of you that, that will have families that are divided this Christmas, many who have friendships that have ended this year, marriages that have separated or divorced in the past months. And I pray that you don't go into the holidays, into this time that we set aside to honor the birth of our Savior Jesus and open gifts with a closed heart towards someone that we're called to love. I hope that we don't celebrate the love of Christ while hating someone that's very close to us. I pray that we never enjoy the grace of God without extending the grace of God to the people around us. What I want to do today is tell you a story from Scripture that I believe gives us a principle for life that helps us learn to overcome offenses, and, not, and little offenses and big offenses. And I'm going to give you the principle, and I'm going to tell you the story, and we're going to unpack it. But if you're taking notes, here's, here's the principle. Here's the thing that I want you to hang on to today. Here, here's what I would say. See, when it comes to being offended, here's what I know. Your life is too short, and you're calling... It's too great to live offended. When it comes to your life, your life is too short. Think about that. Your life goes by so fast. Doesn't it? I feel like I'm still 21. I'm pushing 40. And my mouth is falling apart. Like I just, I feel like my kids are still two and they're pushing 21. Right? Like life just goes so quickly. You, you, if you put a marble, we talk about this with kids town all the time. If you put a marble in a jar for every weekend you have with kids, with your kids from the time they're born till the time they're 18 and hopefully they leave your house, you'd have less than a thousand marbles. You take one of those out every week and you watch time go so quickly, so quickly. Life's too short and our calling is too great. See, you have been called by the God who scooped the universe together to proclaim the best news in the world that anyone has ever heard. And we're called to be the light and the salt to the world. See, your life is too short and you're calling too great to live offended by small things. But here's what else I know. Small people carry big offenses. 
Small people live all the time offended, bitter, angry, frustrated, ticked off. We fill in the gap. See, we're going to learn to make like Elsa and let it go. Because life is too short and our calling is too great. There's this story in the Old Testament that I love, an amazing story of this man named Joseph. Now, it's not Joseph, Jesus' father. It's Old Testament Joseph. And it's a powerful story of someone who rose above betrayal when he had a vision to do great things and his brothers of, were, were very jealous of him and critical. See, Joseph didn't have just one brother or two brothers. He had 11 brothers. And he was one of the youngest, and he starts having these dreams about his greatness, and he starts telling his brothers these dreams, and they're like, no, you're not going to be great. In fact, we're going to teach you a lesson, and they're out in the fields, and they throw him into a well, kind of like a practical joke, I guess, pretty mean practical joke. I'd have been grounded for that. And then as he's in the well, they say, well, let's not just leave him here. Let's sell him into slavery. And his very brothers, think about the trauma of this, sell him into slavery into Egypt. And here's what happens. He goes to Egypt and he's accused of some things where he ends up in prison. And while he's in prison, he finds a way to continue to gain spiritual influence, to gain credibility. He's someone who can interpret the dreams that God gives. And eventually he rises to a position out of the prison and now in the palace of Pharaoh serving, influencing, almost a second in command because he can interpret these dreams, and as he's there, Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph says, here's what your dream means. This whole country, this whole region is going to suffer a drought. You need to know this, Pharaoh. You need to prepare for this. Set food aside. Set resources aside. Be prepared for what's coming. So years and years go by, and guess what happens? Joseph's brothers who are in Israel who think he's dead and gone, they need some food. And so they come to Pharaoh's palace and they say, can we buy some bread? We need something to eat. And Joseph recognizes the brothers who betray him. Now just hit a time out here. What would you do? What would you do? I mean, I bet that many of us would, if you're like me, you're rehearsing for years. You had time in the prison. If I ever see those brothers, like Hatfields and McCoys, this is our culture, right? We're doing this. We're rehearsing this. And finally they show up. And you're thinking, oh, it's now I'm going to get you back. I might even kill you because I have the power to do that. But Joseph doesn't do it. And this is the part of the story I want to read to you because it's so powerful. It's short and sweet today, but it's so powerful. His brothers are standing before him. And here's what happens. Genesis 45, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Joseph, listen, Joseph chooses by the grace of God not to rehearse it, but to release it. He makes that choice. He broke down with emotion. I, I, I can't believe this. He says, you're here. You're standing here in front of me. God, God used all this. And he says, you don't understand. God transformed my suffering. And then it's fascinating to me because just a few chapters later, Joseph's father dies and the brothers are scared again. They're thinking he's gonna kill us now because dad's not around Genesis 50, verse 19, here's what Joseph says. Don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. God turned it. My God used it. My God transformed my suffering. I'm over this. He says, it's beneath me. I'm not letting it slow me down. I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm so over the past. There are those of you here today that I believe, because I saw it in the first service. I saw it happen for a couple people. God's gonna start or God's gonna do a healing work And you're no longer going to be under the curse of something that happened in the past. But how do we do that? How is it even possible when so many of us have been hurt so badly? Let me show you one more verse, then I'm going to break this down. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So, so, so what does it mean to overlook an offense? Let me, let me say this. It doesn't mean the same as pretending it didn't happen, okay? That's not what overlooking means. I, I was in the middle school the other day for, for our cohort, and I'm walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden I get smacked in the back with a water bottle. <laughs> what the heck happened? I look, and I'm like, ah, post-trauma. Like, this is back to middle school days. The little guy's getting picked on. Here we go again. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So I walk in the classroom. One of our kiddos comes in, and he goes, did you get hit with a bottle? I said, well, yeah, I got hit with a bottle. He said, in the head? I said, no, the back. He's like, yeah, somebody threw it at you. I was like, what? And in my mind, this is what I did immediately. I went, who was it? I want to go kill him because I know I can take him. I couldn't in middle school, but now I can. That's what I was thinking. It's to one's glory to over... I didn't. I didn't, if you're wondering how that story ended. Did think about it, though. <laughs> it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. See, what does that mean? It's overlooking the fact that something already happened. It's a conscious and intentional decision to let it go. In other words, it's a form of forgiveness. That word overlook in Hebrew literally means, it comes from two words, and it means to pass over, to pass over something. It's, it's to one's glory to pass over an offense, to get above it in your heart, to rise above it spiritually, to get closer to God, so close to God, that you're not gonna be low enough to let a meaningless offense take you off of God's calling. The philosopher Rene Descartes, I love this quote, he said this, whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. That's so hard to do, but I love that. How do we do this? How do we overcome offenses, whether they're big or small? I'm gonna give you three things today that I think we have to learn to say, learn to know that are so important to overcoming these offenses. Here's the first thing. I'm gonna go through these quickly. Number one, We learn to say this, with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. With God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. See, Ephesians 4.2 says always, Paul says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's such a great statement. Do you know anyone who's perfect? I don't either. Don't, Don't point at yourself, don't look at your spouse, okay? Paul says make allowances for their faults because of your love. What's interesting to me is this. Aren't we good at judging people based on their actions? Like, aren't we super good at you did this and I'm offended and now I'm mad at you? But what do we do with ourselves? We don't judge ourselves based on our actions. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. We think, well, I didn't mean to do that. Let me give you an example. This is what I hate preaching at this church, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I hate preaching marriage series, okay? You're like, why do you hate preaching marriage series? Here's why. Because when I'm in the middle of a marriage series, there's no time that I fight with my wife, Carrie, more 
than when I'm teaching a series on marriage. I will walk in here and I'll be communicating to you on Sunday morning. Here's how you're patient with your wife. Here's how you're patient with your husband. Here's how you love each other unconditionally. And I'm exhausted because we were up to 1 a.m. fighting the night before. And I feel like a hypocrite, right? But if I were to sit down with you, if you were to call me out on that, thank you, Carrie, for never being like, you know, you're a hypocrite. I would say, no, 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 you got to understand my intentions. I want for myself for you to give grace, and we want that for ourselves, but we don't give that to other people. See, we need to recognize when someone else has a bad day, a bad response, when someone seems uncaring, unkind, unfriendly, short, inattentive, lacking empathy, their bad response is not all about us. It's not all about you. Their bad day is not all about you. Their bad driving isn't an attempt to tick you off. Nobody wakes up. You all drive to Clarksburg like this. Did all these people wake up just to make me mad? No, they didn't. It's not all about you. Their snarky remark is not about you. The fact they walk by fast without saying thank you is not about you. I said this in the first service. Their PMS is not about you. Unless you ask about it. then it's all about you. Don't ever ask. That's free marriage advice. Pretend like you don't even know what that is. It actually stands for please make sense, but I, I didn't say that. We're going to remove that from the podcast, so half the room's offended. Sorry. <laughs> when someone is short with me, here's what I'm trying to learn to ask. I'm trying to learn to ask myself, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what they're experiencing. I wonder where they're hurting. When someone's a little bit rude, instead of judging them, what I want to do is have compassion for them. I wonder if there's some way I can minister to them, if they need prayer. Instead of immediately being offended, what I want is to have the attitude of Christ. I want to have compassion on someone because I'm trying to get over being easily offended. With God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. Here's the second thing that I think we have to learn to say in this process. With God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses. With God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses. See, I want to spend a little time being gentle here because I know that in our church, there are those of you that have very significant wounds in your life right now. I I know that for a lot of you, especially going into Christmas time, this stirs up all that stuff, all those betrayals, the hurts, the abuse, the lies that you've experienced or endured in your life. I know that this is very, very real. And when we've been hurt, We have a choice. We we can really essentially do one of a couple things. We can rehearse what happens. Don't we do that, right? If I ever see this person, if this ever comes out, I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna say. And we rehearse it. It just keeps replaying in our minds. That's what trauma does to us. It's when the past keeps invading our present. We can rehearse it, or with God's help, we can release it. See, I wanna make the choice to pass it over. I want to make the choice to overlook the offense. I want to overcome. It is to our glory to overlook an offense. Here's the thing. The process of forgiveness, for some, it may take time. It may take years. It may take months. It may take decades. But as we continue to seek God and press into him, as we continue to pray and do the right things, his Holy Spirit, this is what he promises, his Holy Spirit will actually enter into us and begin to supernaturally change our hearts. If we keep this process with God's help, I'm letting go of the big offenses. God will actually start to work something in you. Some of you, here's what I know. You're thinking of someone right now. You're thinking of something right now, something that has broken your heart, something that has offended you, something you're still angry about. And you say, well, how do I do this? Here's what I would say. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord offered forgiveness to you. 
So we're called to forgive others. Well, how, how do I do that? Maybe, maybe you start with this. Maybe you got a card when you walked in or there's a connection card somewhere close. What if this was the first step? You just actually write down the name of that person. Some of you don't even want to go there. Some of you don't want to name it because it's too hard. You're too angry. You don't, even, you don't want to see them. You don't even see the letters of their name out of order. And I'm saying, what if you took that step? And you just wrote it down. How do we forgive the ones who seem so unforgivable? How do we forgive something that's wrong, so brutal, so horrific? Not only how do we forgive someone that hurt us, but, but you know what's sometimes even more difficult? To forgive someone that hurts someone we love. You say, I can get over you hurting me, but you mess with my kid, mama bear. You mess with my wife. How do we forgive? See, we forgive as we've been forgiven. I, I don't know about you. I can't speak for anyone here, but I've been forgiven of a lot. If you look at the accumulation of my years and all the people that I've hurt and the people that I've let down, all the times I've been less than honest, all the times I've sinned against God, I've been forgiven of a lot of things. How do I forgive someone who seems so unforgivable? I remember and I forgive in the same way that I've been forgiven. Freely I've been forgiven, so freely I forgive. It will be a process. God, help me forgive. God, transform my heart. God, give me grace as you've given me grace. I, I, I pray for this person even though I, I don't want to. And, it, and in fact, let me, let me just hit this because I think it's so important. I know there are some of you right now that in your marriage or your divorce, you've been significantly betrayed. I've said this before. Maybe your spouse committed adultery and you can sit in a Christian circle and you can say all day long, adultery is grounds for divorce. And you know what? Biblically, it is. But here's the other news, and this is hard. Adultery is also grounds for forgiveness. And I know that it's complicated, and I've never walked through it, and I pray I don't, but forgiveness is for all. And whenever you don't, I've watched this happen. The bitterness will eat you alive from the inside out. It will crush you. The other thing is this, and I would say this, to forgive doesn't mean that everything is perfect and you have to go back to the situation. To forgive doesn't mean that you forget. If a relationship is toxic, if there's abuse, you can forgive and choose to forgive and not forget. You can choose to forgive and yet not put yourself back in the same place that's dangerous to you and to your soul and your emotions. I don't know if this is connecting, but if it does today, just let God crack open your heart a little bit. How do we forgive something that seems so unforgivable in the same way Christ has forgiven us? Remember that quote. Whenever anyone's offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. See, the very thing that's held me back for so long, it will not hold me any longer because I'm pressing closer to God, closer to Christ. The lower offenses of this world won't hold me back because life is short and my calling is great. I'm not rehearsing this. I'm releasing it. I'm getting over this. I'm getting over this. I'm getting over this. This is what Joseph did. He kept saying, I'm getting over it, until one day God's spirit actually let him get over it, and he could let it go. And you know how else he did it? Here's the last thing I want to say to you. Because he had seen it done before. See, we miss this part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story. If you say, with God's help, I'm getting over the little things. With God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses. Here's the last thing that I would say we have to know. We have to know that forgiveness will build a legacy for the future. See, offering forgiveness for the offenses that have crushed you starts to build a new legacy in your life. I want, I want you to pick up on this. Joseph had a father. Anybody know Joseph's father's name? Just yell it out. Jacob. Jacob was his father. And Jacob, when he was young, was a conniving little bratty teenager. I don't know if you know that. Because Jacob had a twin brother named 
Esau, and Jacob stole Esau's right to his inheritance. And because of that, the family split. There's a legacy of offense. There's a legacy of brokenness. And at one point in Genesis, Jacob knows he has to do the right thing. He knows he has to go see his brother Esau after years apart. And he's terrified. He wrestles with God all night long. He's thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. I think my brother Esau is going to kill me, and he has every right to. I don't know what's going to happen. Here's what happens. Genesis 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up. And there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Now, if you've ticked your brother off and your brother's got 400 men coming with him, that's a little scary. Little brothers, little sisters, right? That's scary. He sees them coming. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next. And watch this, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. See, Joseph was just a young child at this point. But he saw this happening. Now watch. Jacob, he himself went on ahead. He bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I think he was going, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Right, seven times. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Watch this, verse four. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And you know what? Joseph saw the whole thing. Joseph saw this moment of forgiveness. He saw the bitterness that his uncle should have had, the hate that Esau should have carried, and he saw all of that swallowed up in this moment of grace. He saw something change, something new and different, and he saw it as a child. And when you see something like that as a child, it builds a new legacy for your future. His father was a liar. His father had stolen from his brother. Joseph would have grown up under that, but he saw forgiveness. He saw grace, and he said so many years later, I saw my brother, my uncle do this, so surely I can do this for my brothers. When we learn, with God's help, how to walk with forgiveness for offenses, it's not just about us. It's actually about our legacy. Men in the room, listen, when you learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven you, Your sons will see what it means to be one of the strongest men they can be. And your daughters will see what it means to love a godly man. It will become attractive. Women, when you let go of the hate and the bitterness that you've held on to, you will set a brand new trajectory for your family. When you release those offenses, instead of rehearsing them, God will work something in you that becomes visible to all those around you, something powerful, something healing, and the legacy you leave behind will go brighter and more powerful than you've ever, ever imagined. As we close today, I want you to hear the story of someone in our church who's walking through this right now and the power of healing that's taking place in her life. I'm going to invite Carla Strawn to the stage. Would you welcome Carla? Carla is one of our key ministry volunteers and leaders here at the church. She does an incredible job in multiple areas. Many of you know Carla and Dave. And several weeks ago, Carla and I were in a Bible study with others and talking about discipleship and what it means to to offer forgiveness. And Carla began to share with me a story. And as I started writing this sermon, I said, would you be willing and brave enough? Could I sucker you into, I don't think I promised any money, to sharing this story? Okay. (laughs) And so she said she would. And so, Carla, I would love for you to just tell us where the story starts for you. Okay. Um, well, hold it down. Okay. So my story starts, only because I can't remember anything before this, is April of 1969. Um, 
my dad was a coal miner, and my mom had loaded up us three kids, my brother, my sister, and I, in a car to go to the coal mine to visit him to get his paycheck so we could go to the grocery store. My sister was five, I was eight, my brother was 11. So we get in the car, and we go to the coal mine, and we get dad's check, and he's kissing us all goodbye, and I wouldn't kiss him because he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth, and I thought that was pretty gross. So he kind of teased me. He was trying to kiss me. So anyways, we left. We went to the grocery store. Well, when we got home, um, my uncle was waiting there for us, which we thought was odd, and us kids were sent to our room. And we knew at that point, hearing my mother cry, that something um, bad had happened. Um, and my dad had died that night after we had left. He was going down in the coal mine, and he had fallen down the elevator shaft. So my uncle ended up taking us in um, while my mom was grieving. And the first time I knew about God was then. Um, he, would, he had five kids, and he would take um, us eight kids into a room and would read from the Bible and pray every night. And that was my first experience that I had had with God. So, Carly, you said this, this story starts in tragedy, mm -hmm. but it's not really a story about losing your dad. It's more a story about your relationship with your brother. What, what is that? Well, so, for my brother, he was an, um, my grandmother, it was her only child, my dad. So, when he passed on, it was more that he had, she had taken my brother, has replaced him with my dad, and favored him more than my sister and I. Um, when my grandfather had passed away, he, my grandma and grandpap had lots of money. Um, and I can remember standing in the kitchen uh, the night of my grandpap's funeral and my brother saying, you all don't need to worry about anything. I have this. I will take care of grandma. So from that point on, anytime money was brought up, he brought it up. I think other relatives, there was 11 of us that was in my grandpap's will maybe questioned him about the money, but at some point the will got changed and my brother ended up um, supposedly the one to take care of the inheritance. And, um, but throughout the years it was, he would just blame everybody, like he would bring it up. He would say, you know, grandma's money, the cleaning ladies stole the money, the caregivers stole the money. Um, a cousin, the stock market, whatever the excuse might be, he used it. But um, through that, it was a few years later, um, quite a few years later, my grandmother, he had put her in a nursing home. To me, that was really sad because my grandpap had left enough money for her to be taken care of in her own home and be comfortable. But then my grandmother passed away. And um, we had just buried her. We were standing outside, and my brother came up to me and said, if you want to know where Grandma's money went, tell me, and I will prove, show you. And I was like, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine with it. So on the way home that evening, he called again and said the same thing. So I'm thinking, well, I don't want to feel bad about my brother. Like, I don't want to think that he would do this to our family, so I called him, and I'm like, listen, you seem like you want to prove this to me. Go ahead and do that. So, so what, was, what was the response? What was his response? Well, he called me up. I was in Parkersburg and yelled at me and cussed at me and called me names and um, said he would have his lawyer contact me. 
And I was a little taken back, the fact that he even had a lawyer. So the lawyer sent paperwork. Um, it didn't, it pretty much showed that he had spent um, all that money and I had asked for more documentation to maybe find out that he hadn't and he had given the law lawyer instructions not to do that, that what I had, he wasn't sharing anymore. So that's where we ended up with that. So Carla, this, this is the moment of offense, right? I mean, there's been lots, but this is the moment of offense. What did, what did this do to you? So through the years, I mean, I, I hated him. I was mad at him. And then I came to forgiving him. Um, and I think the hard thing for me was when my mom was ill, that he would drive pretty much past her house every day and never stop by to check on her. He wouldn't do anything for her. Unlike my grandmother, where he, had did, he did everything for her. He stopped by every single day. My mom didn't have a lot of money. Um, so, you know, I, I would see him at Christmas, and that was fine. I was nice to him. I thought I forgave him, and, um, yeah, life went on. I didn't want to fight with him because I knew how much that would hurt my mom when she was living. So I just kind of pushed it back that he was just like somebody on the street. Yeah. So. so when we talked, you talked, and this is what jumped out at me, was this process of healing that started to take place. What was that like? Um, so, you know, like I said, I had forgiven him. And Dave and I were talking about the whole situation one day in the car going up. And um, he asked me, he said, so you say that you have forgiven your brother, but have you? I said, yeah, I have. And then I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I really hadn't forgiven him. I thought I did, but I still had that I don't know, feeling in my heart. So it got me thinking. I prayed about it. I prayed that God um, would help me forgive him and get through that, and he did. God answered my prayers. I just kind of let him take control of it. It's not in my control I put it in God's hands, and it felt so much better to have, have that in God's hands and to feel that relief that I felt, and um, actually, I, I love my brother. Like, I feel bad for him, so um, life was good. I mean, we've connected more, and we don't talk about it. He doesn't bring it up anymore, and I was done, so I forgave him. But there was a deepening, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we were having our Bible study, and we were talking, and it was brought up um, about forgiveness. And I had realized that I had forgiven him, but I didn't tell him that I did. And my brother is going down a path of he's just a mess, a hot mess. Um, he's, dr he's drinking a lot. He's had um, bad relationships. He's been married several times. And you could just tell that he's not a happy person. So I got thinking about that. And so now my next step is to let him know that I have forgiven him for, for that. And um, hopefully through it, I can help him resolve his life and become happier and feel released. I don't know if it's the guilt that's causing him to go down the path that he is, but just hope that in some ways I can help him, so. Yeah, thank you. Can you guys give Carla a hand? We're gonna pray for Carla.
What I love about this story is this story isn't clean and nice and neat and wrapped up. I think a lot of times we think that that's what it has to be before everything's good. But God has spoken and done something in Carla that's now spilling out into something different and a new legacy. So let's pray for her, and then we're going to start to wrap up. I'll have the band go ahead and come. God, thank you for our sister here. Lord, we lift her up. We lift her brother up to you. God, her heart seems now to not be um, full of anger, but full of just compassion for her brother. And, And we pray that, God. We intercede with her on behalf of her brother and ask that you would capture his heart, that you would draw him close to you. May she continue to find healing in this process every time she gets mad, every time that she has those things come back, that she would cling to you and that forgiveness would continue to reign in her life. Lord, thank you for her story. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we give her a hand one more time? As we close today, the band is gonna teach us a new song and I want you to know this. This song for this series is gonna become somewhat of an anthem for us because the reality is this. Over the next four weeks or so, we're gonna confront some pretty painful things and they're ghosts. They're ghosts that keep coming, things that keep coming back. Every time we think we deal with them, they come back and it can be hard. It can be painful. It can be scary, but I'm telling you on the other side of that journey, on the other side of that confrontation, there's a freedom like you've never known. You heard it in Carla's story. Today, I'm inviting you to let go of offenses and find the freedom of forgiveness. And this song is about another ghost. See, in the scriptures, we're told that anytime someone turns to Christ, gives their heart to Christ, that they receive the spirit of God inside them, the, the Holy Spirit. If you grew up in the fundamental Baptist church, it was the Holy Ghost, So this is a song about that ghost, about the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So you may feel like you've been dying because of the sin that's been committed against you. But today, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost wants to do a work of life. Let's stand and sing this song, learn this song together. Sing this out.